0: Hello and welcome to Triforce Trends, the podcast, where I talk about all things Zelda. If you enjoy the content, please support me by subscribing to the show on whichever app you're listening on. And please don't forget to check out the YouTube channel by searching Triforce Trends. I don't need to say the thing this time, right guys? Fine. I'll, I'll do it just in case of any newcomers that are here today. Dungeons are my favourite part of Zelda games, they mix all of the exploration elements with brand new items and hybrid them like sweet sweet butter. Now what if I told you I liked one more thing way way more than dungeons? That's right, collaborations, and today I'm joined
1: by none other than The Ace Monkey. Hey everyone, as Trent said, I'm Ace Monkey and I'm glad to be back on the channel. It's been quite a while since our last collab, but we're excited to be back at it again. We also worked on a video that will be uploaded on my channel, so stick around to the end for more info on that. I'll let Trent take it from here.
0: So now that you know a little bit about Ace, I think it's really time to delve into the topic of today's video. We want to tell you wonderful people just why we liked the old formula of dungeon crawling inside of the Zelda series, and how we think it could be properly added into the likes of Breath of the Wild 2. As usual, I do have a video that's pretty similar to this, but I think it was definitely worth an upgrade because I've come to appreciate both different formulas of dungeons over the past year or so much, much more. But of course, first things first, as this is an in Breath of the Wild 2 video, I think it's about time that me and Ace talked to you about dungeons in Breath of the Wild. Shrines. I think they were a great addition in the context of Breath of the Wild's huge sprawling world, leaving the player numerous things to do all over the map, literally no matter where you went, was just such a good idea that it literally elevates the game above all others for some content creators and just people in general and i agree with this 100 There there is the argument that shrines are dungeons and i can see this this isn't a belief that i really share as i think of them more as mini dungeons or just little challenges that can help you along in your adventure i'm not trying to suggest that they're insignificant because they're not but i don't count them as traditional dungeons Especially since all 120 shrines, apart from technically the blessing shrines, have one single recurring theme, the Sheikah technology theme. Shrines though, they were great. There's so many of them that it makes a second run through accessible since you can't remember all of the puzzles, and the puzzles themselves were just kinda great. Far and away some of my favourite puzzles in Zelda games when it comes down to it. Some pale in comparison to others, but heck, I just love them. So right off the bat, let me establish that I do love shrines. However, something I'm not as in love with are the Divine Beasts. These felt like they were trying to stick to the traditional dungeon layout, but couldn't down to their massive nature and scope.
1: Some of the puzzles in the Divine Beasts were great though. Moving Ra Ruda's trunk to change where water is moving to and from was a real blast, and all the beasts had this kind of function. Va Metal allowed the player to swing the beast from side to side, moving the creature's wings, and this made for some cool physics based mechanics. Valrudania had a similar thing where you could tilt the entire thing 90 degrees, should you see a need. And finally, Van Naboris, a slightly strange premise, but it worked nevertheless. Swirl around each section of the inside of this beast and you'll be able to walk on ahead. And there was a fair amount of death in some of these puzzles. One of the best uses of these puzzle mechanics would be within Valruda. You have to bring the trunk to the top of the beast to put out some fire with the water coming from the spout. But
0: it's not hard to make one puzzle mechanic really in depth when that is the only major set piece within an entire dungeon. And that's probably where my problem comes in. On the contrary to many dungeons in the series, you can skip through pretty much all of the Divine Beasts in what feels like 20 minutes. And some of them I can easily breeze through in 20 minutes on repeat playthroughs, whereas older games would have you figure out many different puzzles, and the dungeons would usually be quite a lot bigger than these little beasts. Though again, the spectacles of these creatures cannot be understated. Seeing Varudania walk around Death Mountain for the first time is a trip, and something that I wish I could relive over and over again for the first time. Along with this, combat is pretty much entirely scrapped in dungeons. For my full thoughts, take a look at this video in the corner after this one. But I have a fair few issues with the Divine Beasts. Enter Breath of the Wild 2. A shining beam, a beacon, a game that could easily fix everything that fans had an issue with in the first game. And in my eyes, and by the looks of it a lot of other people's, the biggest thing that fans had a problem with was the dungeons. Breath of the Wild's theming was as follows. Wind, water, fire, and electricity. Whereas you look at any other game in the series, for example, something like the first 3D Zelda Ocarina of Time, a basic opener dungeon, a little baby fire dungeon, inside a belly themed dungeon, a forest temple, fire temple, water temple, two shadow temple type things, a spirit temple, and even a little nice ice side area. That was too much ice eye eye stuff. <laughs> When you compare the theming of dungeons in these games, it really is night and day. I liked the way that theming was done in Breath of the Wild, having you interact wherever the theme seemed to be. With the exception of Nabaris being in sand rather than electricity, but I mean come on, that's very obvious why they didn't do that. But other Zelda games have just had amazing theming, a temple in the forest only known to be there by Saria and other enemies. You stumble upon the area, and boom, you're greeted by a serene but terrifying song, along with puzzles and areas that usually equate to this same theme as previously mentioned. And I think that's the whole magic of those areas. The reason why the Divine Beasts don't stick out as much to me is down to their uncanny similarities. Music is usually very samey, and while their puzzles can often be pretty fun, as Ace will talk about soon, they don't take too much thought in the grand scheme of things. Breath of the Wild in areas had the best theme of any Zelda game, real life. We've never seen a Zelda game that mimics real life just so perfectly. Wildlife, trees acting as they do, the world functioning as it should. Link has to pay for his own house for goodness sake. And even knowing that in the open world they crafted the best theme in every single Zelda game, they decided that while you're in the dungeons, they should ditch that. While I think theme should return to form in the next game, while these beasts were a spectacle, for the sequel I want to see dungeons themes have more of a natural side, and maybe a couple of them could even be using this new type of energy the next game seems to be showing off. I think theming is the best way to really grip someone in the atmosphere of a dungeon or a world, and again, while Breath of the Wild's open world truly made me feel like Link, and yes I am aware I sound like an IGN reviewer right now, I didn't feel like Link all of the time. Instead, when in the Divine Beast, I felt like I was just doing puzzles and saving the princess inside of a game as usual. And again, I still like Breath of the Wild's theming to a certain degree, but this seems like as good a time as any to take a closer look at those puzzles.
1: Like many, the puzzles in Breath of the Wild in both Shrines and Divine Bees didn't quite strike a chord with me. And after all these years, I still feel they were a bit lackluster. So when Trends asked me to talk a bit about puzzles and why we would like to see a return to its previous style... Well, I was determined to find out what makes a good puzzle. I read a bit on the philosophy behind puzzle making and came across three good points. A good puzzle should explain itself, a good puzzle should teach the user, and a good puzzle is rewarding. And that is when it hit me. The whole concept of Breath of the Wild is the ability to approach the game in whatever direction you want. So having puzzles explain and teach the user kind of go against the idea of what Breath of the Wild is. The Great Plateau does a great job of teaching you how to use each rune via a puzzle, but being a tutorial area, it lacks a rewarding factor that a good puzzle needs. Don't get me wrong, I felt a sense of accomplishment after completing each shrine and from liberating each Divine Beast from Ganon's malice, but that was more of gratification to being one step closer to finishing the main objective. All these accomplishments lacked what they call in the puzzle community an AHA moment. If you look back to dungeons from previous iterations, there are countless times when we arrived to a door or location where we couldn't move forward. So we further explore the dungeon and receive an item or ability that can be used to access locations we couldn't before. This right here is an aha moment. Although we are not done with the entirety of the dungeon, we are able to solve a puzzle that explained itself, taught us, and rewarded us with further progression in the dungeon which is needed to obtain the orb, medallion, shard, or whatever relic we are in search for. Like mentioned before, the core element of openness that is Breath of the Wild doesn't truly allow for puzzles to work as they are intended to be. So for them to truly work like their predecessors, they have to add some sort of linearity to their dungeons. Just their dungeons. (laughs) How could this be possible combining openness with linearity? Well, at the moment, I'm not too sure, but I'm sure the geniuses at Nintendo could find a way.
0: I've talked about bosses in their own little video, but I've not talked about mini bosses in a whole video before, which for me is kind of a cardinal sin. I mean, I've looked at almost everything in Breath of the Wild sequel at this point. So why did I wait on this one? But that's just the thing. I never saw them as a big thing until the lack thereof in Breath of the Wild. Now I know what you're thinking. There are mini bosses trends. Don't tell me you've never faced a Hinox before, Hinox, however you say that. And while I wish I could relive that for the first time again, And yes, I have indeed fought a Hynox Guardian, Stalnox, Lionel and various other mini-bosses before. And I absolutely adore all of these fights, even if some of them become a bit too easy later on in the game. But heck, Darknuts only took a few hits in Wind Waker, so who would I be to complain about the difficulty level? Point is, these were all overworld bosses. That doesn't take anything away from them, because no matter what, they're all pretty darn cool still mini bosses within dungeons before the last game were kinda in the foundations of the series, they were these cult fights where you do stuff and you get your item from the dungeon and even though some of these fights were a- maybe a bit too easy, they were gratifying nonetheless. Death Sword, a sword that is speculated to be Gandalf's sword that can literally shift through ghost form and the living, not to mention since Scarlet Sword came out this mini boss could technically be Girahim. Very technically, but that possibility is there! You finish this boss and gain the spinner, one of the best items in Twilight Princess without a doubt, even though it's underutilised completely. So, let's compare that to Breath of the Wild, where you get all four items within the first couple of hours of the game and don't really do much apart from beat the element of weather or stamina to actually get to them. I think it worked in Breath of the Wild down to it being the first fully open world game in the series, but it's going to take a lot more than that to WoW was a second time. Within a shadow themed dungeon, imagine walking up to a brand new door. Key in hand, you break open the door, a cave looking area waits ahead of you. Suddenly, Link stares to the ceiling. A huge floor master stares down at Link. Bait out his attacks and strike the foe. No big exploit apart from baiting the attacks. Walk into the room after and right there is the one item that you've been looking for. That one grappling hook so you can finally use those cool looking wooden beams that have been scattered around the map or game. And using this you can make your way to the boss and newer areas all around the map. I don't hate the overworld boss in Breath of the Wild, but considering this is a dungeon-based video, dungeon mini bosses wouldn't hurt, would they? But while we're here though, maybe we should discuss one more thing. Go ahead Ace.
1: Everyone loves a good boss battle. You arrive at a new location. The locals are all distraught because some tragedy has fallen over them, and you take it upon yourself to give them your help and take on whatever monster caused their misfortune. You enter the Bean's dungeon, or lair, or sometimes even a creature's belly. And it's filled with puzzles in which they explain and teach how to proceed even further. (laughs) Nice callback, right? (laughs) And there at the end, you are faced with the evil that has been spoken of, and you fight, and you come out victorious. Awesome, right? But it felt like the boss fights in Breath of the Wild didn't give me that lasting impression that the rest of the boss fights in the series did. To me, there was no real distinction between the bosses besides the elemental properties they revolved around. Since they were all very similar, it turned kind of bland for me in terms of character design. To make dungeons that much better in the sequel to Breath of the Wild, I would like the return of unique bosses. And like Trance mentioned earlier, I like them see them revolve around the theme of the dungeon. In previous games, there was always this build up to the final boss fight. In Breath of the Wild, it was more like, oh, another blight? Alright, let's get this over with. For example, in the Dongo Cavern, we see baby Dongos normal Dodongos, and then King Dodongo. It all feels so alive and real. Yes, King Dodongo is one of the easiest boss battles, but having these kind of set of creatures, set of monsters, it adds more depth to the dungeon as a whole. Now, I won't lie, the fights against the Blights were very memorable, but in my opinion, their design could have been way better and more unique. So, to sum it all up, just give us some cool and distinct looking dudes to beat up at the end of the dungeon. Yeah, that, that, that'll work.
0: The final thing I want to look at today is possibly one of the single most debated things when it comes to the sequel. Now I want to talk about how I want the dungeons to be formatted in the next game. There are a lot of people on both sides of the fence from what I can tell. The two real big options here are either the original way of doing dungeons and something we saw with the Divine Beast in actuality, where you do a little quest and you can enter a dungeon, or the other option is the format that we've seen very little of—really only in older games and within Breath of the Wild's own a Hyrule Castle, free outstanding pieces of land that you can enter and explore any time, no matter what time of the game you're at. As an example, you're wandering through the Korok Forest and suddenly you see an opening in a tree. You decide to walk into it and you fall f- just for ages, just just forever, before landing and taking in your surroundings. You can then walk back up to the entrance of the forest using a staircase at the bottom of the tree. Now that you know where that temple is, mark it on your map and come back to it later with pins. In the meantime, walk to Zora's domain and spot an eerily large fish chilling where Varuta is usually sat. At any time you can discover all of these new temple locations and themes. We never have to stay in one place for too long. In my opinion, this is the way to go. The sense of exploration in Breath of the Wild was, for a lack of a better phrase, breathtaking. And I think being told to go ahead and find temples at your own pace would just be amazing stuff. Maybe there could even be an easier mode for people who do want to have markers for each temple, but in the next game I want to feel just as surprised as I did seeing Breath of the Wild's open world for the first time, but instead I want to feel myself being legitimately excited by just stumbling across something that I wasn't pointed towards, but that will give me a huge sense of progression in the future. I don't know if I'm in the minority because there are some drawbacks with this kind of format. Repeat playthroughs won't carry the same weight and could even become tedious going back and forth again and other places in the map could just feel superfluous or insignificant. But I don't know man, I just love this idea way too much and would love to see it in future. Of course though, in this section of the video I really don't mind which way it goes. I just love the usual format for dungeons. This section was just more of an outlet for an idea that I physically cannot get enough of in my brain. (laughs) Do let us know in the comments what are some ideas that you have for your own dungeons in Breath of the Wild sequel. And do you want older dungeons to be back in Breath of the Wild 2? Let us know. An insanely huge thanks to the one and only Ace Monkey, linked to his channel in the description. For whom I've wanted to get back on the channel for ages and the chances just kept, kept getting away from us. And we actually have another video coming out that's a great tie into this one in which we discuss some new game mechanics that could be utilised in Breath of the Wild 2. Check that out on screen and in the description right now. And for the last time, thank you Ace.
1: Once again, thank you Trent, for having me on the channel. It was really fun doing this once more. Hopefully we have a chance to do this again. And like Trent mentioned, if you want to hear us talk about new game mechanics we'd like to see in Breath of the Wild 2, come check out my channel. I would love to see everybody there. I'm also like super close to getting to 2000 subscribers. So if you enjoy the content that I put out, just know that your help would be really awesome. <laughs>
0: Now thank you so much for watching this video, if you enjoyed then please do support me by leaving a like rating and subscribing as we wait for more Breath of the Wild 2 news. The people you can see on screen right now are my Patreon supporters and they are just perfect people, look at them. Some G and Jared Whedon are especially amazing for being my top paying patrons, just look at the Triforce coloured names and Triforce font, thank you so so much for the support guys. If you'd like to join them then you can do for as little as £1 or $1.50 a month. The link to my Patreon is in the description, and along with that link is the link to the rest of my media platforms, so please do follow me on them to keep in touch with me. Again, thank you so much for watching this video, I hope you enjoyed. I'll see you all next weekend. Please, please do. do stay, stay safe. safe.